the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to those of you who are listening and are watching. We're delighted to have you this morning in this podcast version of The Kingdom and Its Stories. And uh, we have the privilege this morning of having Graham Cathers, who is uh, with us, not from not not in Phoenix, but in the cold of the Midwest, where he yeah. said it was 15 below zero this morning, if if you can believe that. And um, but Graham, we're so glad to have you with us. It's and a pleasure to be with you. I just want to remind the folks who are listening um, that. This program is designed to listen to people who God has touched to encourage them to be Jesus' hands and feet in their vocation, whatever that happens to be, and um, and to listen to how God has been working in their life and giving us an opportunity to listen and to explore in our own hearts what that might mean for us. So, Graham, welcome. Well, it's so good to be with you today. I'm happy to be here. And you don't look cold. No, I'm standing in a heated home right now, so it's oh. nice. It's probably 70 degrees. I'm doing all right. Okay. Indoors, yeah. All right. Okay. You told me that yesterday your wife went jogging in that cold weather, and when she came back, her water bottle had ice in it and you commented and you said you know it's did you put ice in your your yeah. water for jogging and she said nope it just froze when i was running <laughs> it did it, about an hour later she came back with ice cubes so for sure it's pretty oh, cold boy. yeah, yeah. Graham, good reason to be in phoenix tell us elevator speech who is yeah. well you know it's kind of funny i come from uh an immigrant family um, my mom and dad, and as well as uh, there's three siblings that I have, and three out of the four of us were all born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And uh, my parents migrated to Los Angeles when I was just a toddler. Um, but it's kind of funny. They came from families where they were the only believers. And my mom, in particular, who passed away about two years ago, um, when she was 12 years old, she came from a family with seven children. And, you know, they had a respect for the Lord, if I could say that, but nobody was serving God. Uh, but she had a little friend that invited her to a tent meeting at the city center in Belfast. 
And so she's 12 years old. She goes and of all things, it's an American preacher and he preaches the gospel. And my mom is just ripe and ready and responds. And this guy is so nice to my mom. He takes her, sits down with her, gives her a Bible, prays with her. And uh, later on, when I finally asked my mom a few years before she passed away, I said, you know, I know Graham is a common name in Britain, but it's not in America. I took a lot of teasing over the name Graham, you know. I said, why'd you name me Graham? She said, oh, I never told you that. I said, no. She said, well, you know, that unknown evangelist was Billy Graham. And I just decided to honor, you know, what happened in my life because you were my second son. And so that's how I got my name. But I had these really godly parents um, who raised us in a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, we were there three times a week. My parents were what you would call pillars. My dad was a worship leader on the board. My mom taught Sunday school. Um, just great parents. But as you know, um, at least in those days, you know, their their thought process was, let's take them to church. God will touch them. And eventually they'll follow him. Well, that didn't hold true. Uh, in fact, my siblings and I all walked away from God. And my older brother and I, in particular, really got into a lot of stuff, just bad stuff, especially drugs. Um, And so we were far from God, wanted nothing to do with God. Um, We had a respect for the things of God, but we just didn't want it. You know, my thought process was, hey, just before I die, let me repent and get into heaven, you know, because I want to live life and have fun. Um, But my dad, uh, you know, he had been reading some books by Watchman Nee. And, and something in particular struck him about families. And he, he saw Watchman Nee talk about how God saved Noah and his household. God saved Rahab and her household. God saved the, the Philippian jailer and his household. Mm. And he said, Lord, I have been begging you for years to save my children. He said, I'm not going to do that anymore. He said, I really believe that this is your will and this is what you want. So today I'm going to stand on your word. Amen. I'm going to stand your promise. And I'm going to ask you to save my children. He said, from this day forward, I'll never pray for you to save them again. I'm going to praise you and thank you that you're working in their lives. Now, to say that they didn't pray for us, they prayed for us constantly. But I remember him telling us that one day, this is the truth, and I'm embarrassed now to say this because I was raised by such godly parents. But my brother and I, uh, my dad picked us up from school that day, and we were both high. And my dad turned to us and he said to us, he said, you know, guys, this was just his faith talking. He said, there's going to come a day when a team of horses with whips at their backs will not be able to keep you two out of church. Well, we did what Sarah did. We laughed. We thought that was hilarious. Yeah, We got the last laugh (laughs) because I have two brothers and one sister and my two brothers are pastors. And uh, Mm. now don't make it sound like it's carte blanche and it just works that way. My sister hasn't really set foot in the church since she was 18, other than funerals and weddings. But we're still praying, you know, and it's sort of like Jesus said, we had to always pray and, and not give up. So I think sometimes there's short term, quick answers. And then there's people that we pray for for decades. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of one family member that we've prayed for for four consecutive decades and this last year was a year where they really found Jesus and yeah. it's amazing. So you don't quit, you know? No, no. And, and, and I'm also reminded of the scripture that tells us that we're not the one who draws people. 
Yes. The Holy Spirit. We need yeah. to be faithful examples of what it means to be drawn by the Spirit. But we're not the ones who have the responsibility. That's God's responsibility. We, we cannot do that. And just to try and cap this off, what happened was four years after my father made that statement. Well, actually, three years after my father made that statement, I found myself at a drive-in theater in Southern California where I grew up getting high with my friends. And uh, mm. I heard a voice. Now, if you were in the church I grew up in, we didn't talk about hearing God. <laughs> We had the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Right. You know? right. And so <laughs> I thought, I'm high, but I'm not that high. But I heard a voice, and I can still remember to this day. I was 18 years old, and that voice said, you thought you had to be perfect before you came to me. Amen. Oh, but wow. come to me just the way you are, and then you'll change. Amen. Well, it may not sound like that big of a deal, but I can tell you this. What I heard that, that night started a wrestling match mm -hmm. and I wrestled with God for a year and he sent all kinds of what I would call unlikely laborers into my pathway through work and everything else. And a year later, I just finally said, that's it. I just, God, I can't fight you anymore. I guess my life is over. I'm not going to wait till I die, but I just can't do this anymore. So I, I followed my brothers to their church and, and uh, gave my heart to Jesus when I was 19 years old, August 3rd, 1980. And uh, he just did something incredible. It wasn't overnight, but he did something incredible. And, and this joy that just flooded my soul, it just took hold of my life. And I just wanted to let everybody know about this. This, You know, I was once I was blind, but now I see. And I had that passion to just tell people. And, of course, that took me to Bible school and met my wife of 40 years now and three sons later and six grandchildren later. You know, we're serving God and, uh, you yeah, know, man. by his grace, by his grace. So, yeah, 27 years I was on staff uh, pastoring a couple of church plants. Um, the last church I pastored was a campus that I planted for a very, very healthy church out here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, that church is still thriving today, doing well. Um, and my son is a student pastor at one of the campuses. So, um, you know, we've got to stay. We've got a little bit. Uh, you know, we're invested in this church, but uh, it was there that I, I just felt this holy discontent. Um, and sometimes God will use that to move you from, you know, where you are, where I was, it was very comfortable. Life was good. The church was doing well. I was in a great community of faith. And, but I felt this holy uh, discontent and it drove me to prayer. And I, I really ended up landing on Phoenix where I had an older son and his family living. And I thought, you know, I was thinking, Bob, I'm going to be, you know, like 60 when I get there. And I thought, <laughs> I'm too old to fit the church planting model. Yeah. However, I think I've got one good plant left in me if I can gather a young staff around me. And so my thought was, I'm going to go do that. Um, and what happened was my daughter-in-law, who works with New Generations, invited me to a disciple-making conference. And of course, my wife and I at that time, COVID had just hit. We were already planning to come out that way, but COVID hit and it changed a lot of things and a lot of thinking. And we started reading Francis Chan's letters to the church. And uh, something in our heart changed. And we just said, you know, we love the church and we love being part of uh, what the church represents. But we also see there's coming a day that we need to have some other strategies to reach people 
who may never walk through that brick and mortar door. Right. And this is important to God. And we know that we feel like what we're doing now is a little bit outside the box. It's so not tell us, with the box. Tell us, Graham, what, what is it that you're doing? And, and what is it that drives that, um, that doing? Well, I'll tell you, it started with, um, uh, it started with my desire to see churches planted. And, and I know that you are a church planner. I know that you have a heart for the harvest. Uh, Exponential, which has done a lot of great work in moving the needle in church plants. Uh, that organization in 2019 compiled some stats. And what they found was in North America that there had been 4,000 church plants in 2019. So that's pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds okay. I'm like, well, that's not bad. 4,000 is pretty good. But the other side of that stat was 3,700 churches had shuttered their doors. Wow. And so we have a net gain of a plus 300. And we know that according to the experts, which I'm not, just to keep up with our population growth, we would need to have roughly eight to 10,000 brand new church plants a year. And that's just for the new babies being born. Right. So that bothered me. And then I also know that, you know, Warren Bird, I think, who's done a lot of study on church plants, he's kept stats since 2007. And in 2007, the average age of a church planner was 32. And in 2022, the average age of a church planner was 42. And so we find a younger generation that's not as drawn as my generation was, or not as moved by the idea that, hey, we need to be planting churches. Right. So we were introduced to disciple-making movements, which is just something that allows you to sort of plant simple churches, if you will. You're making disciples who then form a church, and then we try to replicate that again and again in multiplication. And I don't want to go too deep into that because that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, okay, but but I'm, I'm really interested in, um, in how you define discipleship. You talk about disciple-making yeah. churches. What, what yeah. is disciple-making? What, you know, what does me, a disciple look like? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think one of the best definitions I've ever heard of what is a disciple of Jesus belongs to Eugene Peterson. And that is uh, a disciple. He, he calls it uh, a long obedience in the same direction. Okay. And I think for us that there's, there's a couple of competing styles of discipleship, I would say. One that I put a lot of time and effort into as a pastor for years, preached a lot of sermons, did a lot of you know, men's Bible studies, small groups, connect groups, whatever you want to call them. You invest a lot of time helping people understand and know scriptures, which we know is absolutely critical. However, there seemed to be a disconnect because, I mean, I know as a communicator that if people just hear something within 72 hours, they'll forget about 93% of what they hear. Okay. So I think the disconnect is this. If you look at John 13 and 14, one of the things that Jesus says about his disciples is that those who love me obey my commands. Okay. He says that in first John. And so what I see is a slight difference between knowledge based discipleship, which is I'm just going to continue to pour knowledge into you versus obedience based, which is I'm trying to build a muscle in you so that as we pour the knowledge and as you discover things on your own, because I'm going to try and teach you how to eat from this holy book on your own. As you begin to discover things, you're much more likely to hold on to what you discover than what I just dump in your lap. Okay. You know? well, let, me, let me just interrupt you right now sure. to uh, do a quick station break. 
Yes. Uh, for those of you who are listening and, and are watching, we're listening, watching the Kingdom of the Stories. And we're, we're interviewing Graham today, who is giving us his testimony of, um, of how God has been working in his life to help him be Jesus' hands and feet. And what we're talking about right now is discipleship. And what is discipleship and how does it, what does it look like? And Graham, you, you basically said it's not content. Let, it, let me let, let me ask this if if I'm if I'm hearing you right. Sure, sure. It, it's not content. It's obedience. It is. It's the wise men and the foolish men. If we could just boil it down, it's those two people. They sat in the same pews. They heard the same messages. All right. Both said amen at the great at the at the moment you should. Yeah. But one of them walked out and said, "How." Lord, how can I do the Holy Spirit? Would you help me? How can I put into practice? I can't put everything that I've heard today. If I heard a 30 minute sermon or a 40 minute sermon, there's no way I can take all that content. But what was that thing that sort of was highlighted for me in this season of my life? What's that one thing that you're wanting me to really pay attention to in this message today? And Holy Spirit, how can I apply that? How can I put that into practice? How can I build my house? on this rock because the storms of life are in fact coming my way whether i want them or not but if my life is built on the rock i know that through the good the bad and the ugly somehow okay graham we're running out of time and i want to yes okay i want to be sure that uh we understand how you're doing that i understand you're 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 not a full-time pastor now what do you do and and how does what you have just shared with us work itself out in real life. Tell us a story. That yeah, sure, sure. I can do that. There's a few stories that I can share. Uh, you know, one of them is is at work. Um, and I'm right now working with a company. Uh, and I see this as a stepping stone to launching my own business in the greater Phoenix area. Probably this summer or this fall, I'll launch it. And the purpose of that business is to serve my community, but also to have um, connection with the lost. I know when I was a pastor, one of the things that used to really, really bother me the most was I'd say, Lord, all my time is spent around believers. And I think a lot of believers can identify with that too. A lot of our friends, they're all believers. And so we're looking for networks where we can share with people who are far from God. Because if we look at all the numbers, we know that at least 97% of the people who come to faith say that they came to faith through a family member, a friend, or a coworker. Hmm. So it's the, the kingdom moves relationally. And we know this. And so I'm looking for opportunities to see the kingdom move relationally. Well, you know, we like to use this term. We can share where we live, learn, work and play. Why is that important where you live, learn, work and play? Because those are areas where you belong. You're not an outsider. If I'm playing at the gym or at pickleball, I belong there. Okay. If I'm working there, I belong there. If I'm in school, I belong there. I'm not an outsider coming in and crashing in. That's not welcome. I'm there. I'm part. That's part of my network that I can pray for and begin to develop relationships with. And so I'll tell you one story. When it's the second week I was uh, working with uh, FedEx. I'm working with FedEx right now. And um, I, uh, I happened to have this young man that was training me. He's in his early 40s. And we started to talk and he started to talk about wanting to do better with his family. I can relate to that, mm. um, you know, and, and he's pretty, pretty rough, pretty salty. But he's telling me how he's been, you know, sober for a couple of months 
And then he starts telling me about some of the philosophies that he's been studying, Eastern religions, and he's quoting some of these things. And, and I just thought, what a great time to share my testimony. And I said, hey, you know, I, I can relate to that. I said, I just want to let you know, I've been sober for over 40 years. Really? You've been sober for 40 years? <laughs> How the, and I won't use his adjectives. How did you do that? And I just said to him, I said, you know, this may sound crazy to you, but honestly, one of the things they talk about in the 12 steps, which I've never been through, but I used to speak to a lot of recovery people, uh, I said, is they talk about finding your higher power. And I said, I found Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you that he radically changed my life. No, it wasn't always easy, but he so changed me from the inside out that I just don't care about that anymore. Uh, he has so much, what he offers me is so much better than any high the world could ever offer me. And so we began to talk. Now, of course, I'm not, I don't want to, and I want to say this, Bob, I don't want to take credit for this. You know, Paul said, you know, one person plants, another one waters, but God right. gives the right. discovery. Exactly. So I wasn't the, yeah, I wasn't the only voice in his life. But fast forward about three months from that first conversation and multiple coffees afterwards, you know. Very organic, like, hey, where are you working today? Hey, let's see if we can hook up at Starbucks for a break uh, and, and 30 minutes of conversation. And we just talked about the issues that were really uh, pushing at him and, and, you know, tearing him apart, his marriage and everything else. And man, three months later, he got baptized. He got baptized. <laughs> he's, leading, yeah. he's leading his blended family to church. I mean, he's being the example. Is it perfect? No. Is is he still a bit salty? Oh, yeah. But I see the potential in this guy. And I've told him this. I said, you are going to be somebody that can reach a lot of people I would never reach. I said, people love you. They're drawn to you. You can talk to anybody. And so I think he really is going to be a natural evangelist. And uh, so that's just one story. Another story, and I know you've talked to Beth before. She's a mutual friend. But Beth is part of our simple church in Tempe. And uh, so she has an Airbnb. That's she's retired, if I could say this, or semi-retired. Yeah, she has that Airbnb because that is a uh, a place where God connects her with others. It's another place where she has the ability to connect with the lost. And so, very often in our Sunday mornings, we do you know what we call a discovery Bible study with a few other things added, and we do some worshiping. But she'll quite often invite people who are atheists, agnostics. Uh, Hindus, Buddhists. We had a young man this summer from China and he was at ASU and he was doing his graduate work there. And so she'd invited him and he spoke enough English to, to track with us, but he sits in on one of our studies and we like to keep them so simple that anybody could jump in and be a participant because we don't want them to feel like this is calculus and I don't get, so we asked simple questions. So what we did was we took this young man and I said, have you ever heard of the Bible. Well, yes, I've heard of the Bible. Have you ever read one? No, I've never read one before. Well, today we're going to look at the gospel. We happen to be in the gospel. I said, we're not the gospels. And I said, we're, we're just going to look at, at one of the biographies. I said, there's four biographies about the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at one of them and hear some of his words and just ask some simple questions. So, hey, there's no pressure, but just track with us as best you can. We went through and to my amazement, this guy answered every question. And one of the last questions that we ask in that is, if what we read today is true, what is it that you think God is wanting you to do with what you heard this week? And to make a long story short, a month later, the night before he flew back to China, 
he had downloaded the Mandarin Bible and U version the night before he went back to China. He took Beth. He said, Beth, I want to become a Christian. Please show me how. Amen. He'd been reading the Bible for a whole month. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, it, you know, yeah. Yeah. Both these stories are stories of, of how discipleship occurs in the context of relationship. Yeah. Not yeah. because you break into their world. Yeah. But you have a relationship and it's in the context of that relationship that people are yeah. touched, are discipled, are moved from where they are toward a relationship with the Savior. Yeah. Graham, just a few seconds left. What's your challenge to you know, those who are listening? You know, my challenge would be sometimes we really beat work. We beat ourselves up when we hear stories like this. We're saying, oh, gosh, I, I haven't done that or I can't do that. I'd say it starts with prayer. It starts with praying, you know, like the Luke 10 to Lord, send forth laborers. And, you know, Lord, by the way, send me out okay. and open doors for me. Lord, give me opportunities. Open doors. Give me opportunities. I can't create them, but I can respond to them. And then I would just challenge you when you're around people, don't try to force the gospel on somebody who's not open at the moment. Look for that person to peek, somebody who's open and receptive. And Amen. so for me, that's just a simple salty statement. You might just say, I'm blessed or, you know, God help me raise my teenagers, whatever. And then look at their response. And if they're open, then take it further. And if not, just pray for them. Graham, thank you so much for coming on board this morning and sharing with us. God bless you, brother. My pleasure. God bless you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.